I've got, um, I think, nine questions. I've consolidated a few. And uh, if I don't finish any, what I'm going to do is just try to send the people who asked the questions answers. I'll get them to you somehow, but we'll do our best here. I think we'll get close if we don't finish them. And feel free always, if uh, new questions come up, you think of something even today, uh, to send us an email, pull me aside, ask me a question. Questions are always welcome. This isn't the last chance you have to ask a question. Okay. Uh, I've tried to kind of categorize these. Uh, they're not that categorized. But let's start with a couple questions related to uh, giving rewards. Uh, first, what's the best way to reward obedience without encouraging idolatry? I.e., they really only care about the reward. How do we explain to children that the reward is not the ultimate reason to obey? So how do we give rewards without encouraging idolatry? All right, let's begin by always pouring out your affection and your love on your children. Begin by making the default your love being showed to them uh, and, and uh, demonstrated to them. That's their treasure. That's what they love. They're, they're being valued. They're being treasured by you regularly. Now, when you discipline them, not only is there the pain of the rod, there is the pain of separation. There's a lack of that affection. There's a, la there's a pause, if you will, in the, in the demonstration of your love. They don't feel loved, okay? Then... As you're, as you're disciplining them and they realize there's this loss, what happens when they do what is right? There's a restoration of that affection, that love, that pleasure that, you're, that you have with them. And you're showing them that, that the normal way that you treat them is in and of itself a reward. Okay? Now, if you start there, most people, I th think about rewards like uh, tangible things, like I gave them a dollar or I gave them a cookie or something like that. But if you, if you begin with, my affection is the reward, then you're not going around constantly pointing them to other things. Look, I know you won't obey me. Will you obey me for a cookie? Yeah, that's probably going to do a pretty good job of making them cookie auditors. Uh, they're going to worship food. They're going to worship cookies. Okay. But if the reward, if the normal reward is your presence, your fellowship, your love, your affection, that's not idolatry or at least not necessarily. Okay. Listen to Hebrews 11 chapter 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you are going to please God, what two things must you believe about God? Number one, he is. And number two, he will reward you. You can't please God without believing he's going to reward you for seeking him. 
Now that that's paradigmatic. That's huge. Whoa, mind blowing. But that's the exact picture that we're presenting to our children. Not that our that we are the ultimate satisfaction or that we are the ultimate reward, but we're preparing them to see what is God's reward for you? What, what does it mean for God to reward you? Does it mean you get rich? Does it mean you get your way, that you get whatever you wanted? No. What is God's reward for you? Right now, it is his own presence. It is him. Okay, so there's two ways to look at this Hebrews 11:6. 6. Either that God has a really big treasury and he's going to pay you out of that treasury. And that treasury is what you really want. Or that God himself is the treasury. So that the reason you must believe he will reward you is because it is idolatry if you're not seeking the reward. If you don't come to God wanting to be rewarded, you believe there's something better than God out there. Let that sink in. Give you a moment to chew on that. If you don't come to God wanting to be rewarded, you believe there's something better than God out there. But when you believe that God will reward you for seeking him, you are making him most high. You're making him exalted. So in a very small but similar way, we do the same thing with our children. You want your children to want you more than your money. You want your children to want you and your affection and your love more than a video game, more than new clothes, whatever it is. Okay? So start there. And then if you're going to, to you choose to give tangible rewards, I'll give you this warning. Don't speak in terms of deserve or earn because that will make you their debtor. Don't speak. You've earned this. You deserve. You've been such a good boy. You deserve this. Here's $5. Now the next time they do it, what do they deserve? You owe them $5. That's not accurate. That's not true. Instead, speak of it or look at it as an overflow of your affection. I'm so pleased with the way that you've behaved. I'm so blessed. It's so wonderful to see you act this way. Here's a blessing. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you deserve it. It's because I love you. And now what does that point them back to? The real blessing is your love, which points us back to the real blessing is God's love. That's the ultimate blessing, not the gifts, not the new car or the wife or husband that you seek. Okay, second, how do you encourage your children when they're good and then discipline them when they're bad without constantly jumping back and forth? Uh, anyone deal with that? I assume that was a knowing chuckle. Uh, let's say to begin with, you're going to do some jumping back and forth and that's okay. Okay, so don't feel guilty for jumping back and forth. There's, there's no verse that says thou shalt not jump back and forth. You, you will. There will be times, especially in the early months and years, where it will be a boom, good, boom, bad, good, 
bad. Good night. <laughs> You're going to figure it out. Uh, there will be some of that. Don't fret. Okay. As your children become more stable people, as they are tossed to and fro less and less, you're not going to have to deal with that constant shift as often as possible. Picture a little kitten or a little puppy. How do you train them? You don't train them by spending five minutes with them or something like that. You, you, it's like you have to spend a whole day with them, and the whole day, what do you do? Every time they go somewhere they're not supposed to, you got to give them a little tap or move them or whatever you do. Every time they do something good, you want a little treat there to put it in their mouth. What are you doing? You're training them. Why do you have to do it so constantly when we all know that there are grown dogs that you don't have to do that with at all? It's because of their own instability. It's because of how untaught, untrained, and basically empty they are. And so as they're filling up that circle of emptiness, you've got to be there to kind of jump back and forth. That was good. That was bad. That was good. That was bad. In the, in the early years. But as they fill that up and they learn that, you're not going to have to do it uh, so frequently. Jeremy, you want to jump in? Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is just as you said, the, the making yourself the reward, just as God himself is our reward, this also models our spiritual life as well. First John 1 makes it clear our fellowship with God is conditioned upon our walking in the light. And when we don't walk in the light, we don't have fellowship with him. So the Christian life is one of constantly being in fellowship, drifting out of fellowship, confessing, returning to fellowship. I mean, mm-hmm. So that moving back and forth is my life constantly yeah. anyway and so that pattern seems to be a pattern preparing us for again other patterns in life yeah good uh, let me add on a, a another thing and then I want to give you a picture to help you think of this uh, one other tip is to make your discipline serious and weighty one of the ways I've noticed that you can jump back and forth is if you have a light discipline weak discipline it will work for a moment. And then you'll go on, to, they'll do something good for a second, and then they'll go right back to the bad. And so if you make your discipline something serious and weighty, what it's gonna do is it's gonna put more of a, of a focus on that or more emphasis on that, and that, that shows them gravity. It shows them weight. And they're not constantly tossed to and fro, back and forth. The picture I want you to, to have is just of a swing. Uh, when you, when you're, if you want them to swing high on the swing set, you know, back and forth, you're pushing them. Do you push them lightly? If you push them very soft, what's going to happen? They're going to be right back to where they were, right? You want to be able to push them harder, not for purposes of pain, but for joy. You want to push them harder so they go higher, and that brings this pattern, this pendulum swing. It brings it, it's wider, it's longer, and it's not so constant back and forth, back and forth. That will break down very quickly. The harder you push them does not mean that they're going to go further back and evil or something like that. But the idea is make it weighty. It's not just a dinky little thing. A basketball is the same way. If you want to bounce a basketball high, you've got to push it harder. If you're down low, you've got to push it short. Let's broaden that a little bit, and the the swinging back and forth won't be so constant. All right, we've got to move on. Discipline. 
couple questions on discipline. Uh, First, how would you effectively use the rod with a teenager? It seems like having them pull down their pants might be inappropriate. Fair enough. Uh, So much of the way that we view this is going to be based on our own culture. I think probably 90-something percent of our culture would say absolutely that's inappropriate. But I definitely know of cultures where that would not be inappropriate at all. That would be normal. That would be assumed. So, so much of this is our own culture, and we, we as individuals are not all going to come to the same decisions. We're not all going to do things exactly the same, and that's okay. That's totally fine. So if you believe you, mom and dad, have decided prayerfully this is inappropriate, we're not going to do this, that's fine. What are your options then? Okay, what else can you do? Uh, Proverbs 26.3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Well, use their back. That's one option. They don't have to pull their pants. You can lift your shirt for a rod on the back. But honestly, I think everyone in our society would say that's too much for a teenager. That's You're gone too far. And I'm pretty sure any... Uh, investigation would be worse on the back than on the bum. Don't know that for sure, but that would be my guess. So we're still back in the same position. What are our other options? Um, what a, be, be creative. You, you've got a hand that you can use. No bruising, no marking on the hand. That can be very effective if it's necessary for a teenager. Uh, what else could you do? Physical punishment. Uh, Anyone who's been on a sports team knows that the coach is able to punish the players. How does a coach punish players? He makes them run. He makes them do push-ups, right? He makes them do wall sits or lunges. Those can be effective as well for a teenager if you believe uh, some you know, slap or, or whack or whatever is inappropriate on their hand. Um, so be creative and use combinations of things, okay? I, I think typically we run right to grounding. That's in our culture, that's the only discipline that parents seem to use. That's the only acceptable form of discipline for parents to use on teenagers as we ground them. Now, I'm not saying don't ever ground your, your children. That can be completely appropriate. It can be effective sometimes, especially like I sinned in order to be able to go somewhere. Okay, you're not going there. Now, that's a grounding in a, in a sense, and that can be totally appropriate, totally effective. But let's not run there because if, if somebody is acting like a fool, they need to be dealt with like a fool, which means they need to experience some, some pain. Combine some of these things. Extra chores can be a punishment. Uh, Scrubbing the floor, vacuuming, pulling out weeds can be punishment. You be creative. If you don't think one form of punishment is appropriate anymore, find something else that you think is appropriate. I don't in any way mean uh, to suggest that we all need to be spanking our children, our teenagers on the bottom, but that doesn't that is not an unacceptable thing biblically. We can't say anyone who does that is wrong. We can't look at cultures where that goes on and say, you guys are all sinners. We're more civilized than you are. Second, uh, do you have any practical helps for someone who struggles with anger while giving correction? 
uh, I know just who wrote this. Just kidding, everyone in this room, <laughs> right? I mean, probably all of us struggle from time to time at least with being angry when we give correction. Let me, uh, if you want to, to work on being angry while you give correction or reproof, let me give you, ask you two questions. First, are you disciplining them diligently as soon as the first sin or instance of the sin happens? Are you dealing with their sin diligently? In my own life, almost all of my own anger is because of that problem. I was not diligent. And they got irritating, and so I got mad. And if I were diligent, I would have gone and disciplined them long before I got angry. Okay, But that's my experience. That's not everyone's. Uh, the second thing I would ask you is, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And I would encourage you to write down in graphic terms or vivid terms why you are angry. Why are there fights and quarrels among you? Jeremy? Passions are at war within you. We, we want something, we don't get it, and so we kill for it. I want peace and quiet, I don't get it, and so I'm going to kill for it. I'm going to fight for what I want. So when you're getting angry, write down what is it that you're angry about? Why are you angry? And you might find that <clears throat> uh, you, have a, you might find you have a godly reason. I am angry because I saw the wickedness of my child in his disrespect for his mother. I was on fire. I, was just, I could not stand that I saw that in my kid. If that's the case, if your anger is righteous, I would not say that you should not discipline when you are angry. You're not out of control. You're not in a rage because that is not righteous. But what did Jesus do in his anger in his father's house? He, he made himself a whip. He fashioned himself a whip. I don't know how long that takes, but I'm guessing 10, 15 minutes at least. And then he drove all of the money changers out of his temple. And he said, get out of my house. You, you've made the a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has consumed me. Okay? So if there is a righteous anger in what you're doing, don't, don't, uh, don't try to get rid of that. That righteous anger is something that's good. If you're trying to get rid of your righteous anger, what you're pursuing isn't righteousness. You're pursuing something else. I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's righteousness. So don't be scared if, you're, if your anger is righteous, godly anger. It's not yourself you're defending, but it's the righteousness, the holiness of God that you're defending. Uh, I think of Paul, too. Paul says, I, I rebuked Peter in the presence of them all because he stood condemned. And he said to Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, how can you make the Gentiles live like Jews? He was livid with Peter, and he confronted him in, in front of them all because all of them had been led astray by Peter. Peter had influenced them all. And there, there's a sense of this, what are you doing, Peter? Peter. 
And Paul, I don't think, I don't know, there's no exclamation marks or whatever in the original, but I don't think Paul was like, Peter, how could you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile? Because he's rebuking him. This is, this is a rebuke in the presence of them all. So don't, be, don't, be, uh, don't assume that all of your anger is unrighteous. But let's be honest, most of our anger is unrighteous. Most of the time we're angry, it's not because we're looking at the glory of God and we're, we're angry. He's not getting the glory he deserves. Most of the time, it's our own sinfulness. So write down why you're angry. Spell it out. Why are you angry? I'm angry because I've had a hard day of work and I wanted to rest and my kids got in the way. Yeah, that's, it's, I mean, that happens to us, doesn't it? But when we write it out and we say it, we realize how ugly it is. We realize how sinful it is. Uh, if, you're, if your anger is based on your own preferences and pleasures, then you do need to get control of your spirit. You need to repent of your own sin and then discipline. So if that's the case, if you're getting provoked, I'm just so irritated they spilled their, their milk or they dropped the cookies or whatever. I'm so irritated with them. And you know you're, you're doing that sinfully. Then send them to their room and you can sit down and get control of yourself. You can pray and ask the Lord to forgive you for your own sinfulness. And then you can go and discipline them. Okay? So deal with your own sin, if it's, or deal, deal with your, your anger first. If it's righteous anger, don't be scared of that righteous anger. You're not out of control. You can, you can discipline rightly in that anger. But if your anger is self-centered, self-righteous, ungodly, deal with that before you discipline. Okay? All right. Uh, now, a couple of special situations and questions related to those. All right, we're close, we're close. How can you encourage your children to honor their mother like they do their father? Is there an option that doesn't require waiting for the father to get home? (laughs) Okay, Uh, I think this starts with dad when he is at home. Dad sets the pattern for how mom is treated. And so the first thing you can do to encourage your children to honor the mother like their father is the father to require the children to honor mother like they do him. He sets the tone. He sets the pattern at home. Then when dad's gone, mom needs to expect the same thing of the children that the dad does. She, she doesn't have a separate standard for when dad's gone and for when dad's home. If she does, then guess what the kids figure out really quickly? I don't need to show you honor because you're not going to do anything to me. I can get away with it when dad's not home. So mom needs to step it up in terms of uh, her expectations. She needs to demand, and I don't mean that in any uh, evil way. She needs to expect to demand to insist upon the same respect that she receives when dad is home. You discipline effectively, efficiently, all the recommendations I've given you in terms of parenting, those apply when dad's not home. And then you get this added bonus. You have this stick that you can lay in front of them, and this huge, massive stick is 
when dad gets home. So don't be scared to say, I've disciplined you. It's not enough. So you're going to stay here in your room for the next hour until your father gets home to deal with you. Or I'm going to let you out of your room, but I want you to know that as soon as dad gets home, I'm going to talk to him and let him know what you've done because I can't discipline you as as much as you need it. So you have this huge stick. Use that to your advantage. Then when dad gets home, give him a second to, you know, uh, what do you say? Decompress, yeah, however you want to say it. Uh, Unwind just a little bit, but let him know, you know, so-and-so's in the room and they're going to need some love from you. (laughs) And then you explain what they did. Now let dad go and defend your honor. Uh, Then dads, when you come home, make sure that you deal with your your children. And don't just deal with what happened, but deal with the future too. So speak to the future. Uh, Let them know this happened now. I'm thinking about the next time it might happen, and I want you to know what's going to happen if it does. I'm thinking about the future. You do not treat your mother that way. Don't ever let that happen again. You're stepping it up. You're reinforcing mom. And guess what you do, dads, as you do that? You make your wife stronger, more powerful as a mom. You make her more beautiful. You make her more spectacular to her children. So do that. Now, the uh, related question is, okay, but that assumes there is a dad who's going to do that that is on the same page. What about those of us who are either single moms or moms where the dad's checked out? Dad's on another planet. Maybe he's not a believer. If he is a believer, maybe he's a weak believer. Uh, You're just not on the same page. What tips do you have for a single mom or effectively a single mom? Someone who's trying to raise discipline, train their children on their own. Let me start by saying I'll assume the situation itself can't be improved. Okay, So if you're a single mom from from a past sin and you have other options available to you to be married or to have a a godly biblical husband, if that's options available, go ahead and pursue those options. But let's assume there's no way to improve the situation biblically, okay? It's going to take way more work for a single mom than it will for a father and a mother to raise a child, way, way more work. It's going to be far more difficult, but God has given you this ministry. God has sovereignly put you in this place, and he will give you the grace that you need to do it. He won't call you to something that's futile. He won't call you to something that you cannot do. He'll give you the strength that you need to do it. He will, okay? Now, you're probably going to have to adjust your natural inclinations. The natural, uh, maybe this isn't true for everyone. It seems biblical to me. I think it's true for the most part. Natural inclination of a dad is a little bit towards discipline. The natural inclination of mom is a little bit towards affection or love nurturing. Moms, most of you will probably have to readjust that a little. Most, that's not all of you. 
But if your natural inclination is that tenderness, that affection, that care, if that's all you give your children as a single mom, you're probably going to leave out some important things. So readjust your inclinations, counter those inclinations. Just like I would say to a single dad, you're probably going to need to focus more on that affection, that nurturing, that caring that they'd normally get from their mom. So readjust those inclinations. Listen to this verse. Mark 29, Mark 10, 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. God knows that every one of us has come out of certain places and that we are going through certain things. And God knows that we need those mothers and fathers that we have left behind. So what's his solution? His solution is this, the body. It is his church. So find for your children father-like men, men who can be a godly influence if there is no father in their life. And it doesn't have to be anything formal. Bring them into, into the presence of godly men who can train, discipline, teach them. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be constant. But you want them to be involved, the godly men to be involved in your children's life. You're recognizing, even while you're trying to compensate for the absence of a godly father, you're recognizing that the absence of a godly father is painful. It's real. And you're trying to balance that. So you bring them into the church. You show them other men who can be like fathers to them. And then uh, the last thing I would say on this is all of the advice biblically for parenting and training your children applies to single moms. All of it does. It's just going to be harder. It's going to take more work out of one person than it will if it's husband and wife, mother and father. Third, uh, how do you deal with teenagers who have not had diligent discipline up until now? Severely. Uh, if you've been a part of the problem, if you're part of the reason, this isn't like an adoption or they were out of your care for some time and came back. If you've been part of the problem, you want to be very open with your children about that sin. Communicate to them your intent to change. Talk to them about what you've done wrong and tell them what you want to do in the future. So you've just admitted up front, this is like repentance. This is repentance. It's turning in a different direction. You're being open about it. You're acknowledging your sin. And then as you discipline them for new things, as you discipline them for things that they got away with for 10 years, be, be gracious to them and explain more than you would why they're getting disciplined for this now even though they did it for eight years or 10 years without being disciplined. Explain your reasoning every step of the way. 
um, God, God gives grace. He gives grace so that even if we've messed up for a long time, if we're willing to do what's right now, he'll give us the grace that we need to follow through with it. I've got three more, and I've got six minutes, so I'm going to move on. Do you have any suggestions for disciplining children when your own background is from an abusive or violent family? Find somebody that you trust in the body. Uh, Find somebody that you know will think biblically and answer you biblically and talk through what you've suffered. Talk through about it openly. Don't hide anything and delineate clearly what your parents did that was wrong and sinful, abusive, and what was legitimate discipline. Very few parents are all wrong. They exist, but very few are all wrong. Usually it's a mixture, most of it's wrong, but there's some good things that they did. I think most of us are a mix of those. And you want to talk through, okay, these are the things that he or she did to me that were wrong and sinful. These are things they did to me that were, that were okay. They were good or godly or right. And they can be godly things even if they're unbelievers. So figure out the difference between what was legitimate and what was abuse. Then talk through with the same person what you're doing with your children now. You're going to have two tendencies if, if you've got, well, I don't even think this is unique to those who have been abused, but I know it's true of those who have been abused. You're going to have one of two tendencies. The one tendency is you're going to do the exact same thing that was done to you. You become a perpetrator of what was done to you. Okay. Then the other extreme seems to be that I will do everything I can to avoid being this. And in the process, you remove all discipline, all correction from your life because you're so scared that you're going to become what your father or your mother was. So those are your two tendencies. You want to guard against that. So as you talk with this person that you trust and you know will give you biblical advice, you're going to begin to see patterns. Okay, when my dad did that, that was sinful and that was wrong. And that's not what I'm doing when I spank my child. That's not what I'm doing when I correct my child. They're different. And you want to begin to see these patterns of sinfulness are not what I'm doing. Because that's what the devil is going to tempt you to believe. You're just like he was. And one is good and one is wrong. And as you can distinguish between the good and bad of what your parents did, you're going to be able to see the good and the bad, there'll be both, of what you're doing as a parent. Hope that helps a little. Uh, Fifth, how do you discipline grandchildren if parents aren't really doing their job? Severely. (laughs) Just teasing. Uh, first, talk with the parents to find out exactly where they're, they're at. Okay? Don't assume that because they're wild and rebellious and disrespectful that that's what the parents were shooting for. <laughs> it's possible that they have really good intentions and they're just failing miserably. 
So don't assume you're on opposite pages and you're at war with each other. Talk about uh, what the expectations are, what their goals are, and see where they're at. Maybe this is an opportunity that God's given you to help them become better parents. Attempt to find some common ground and reinforce whatever good expectations and desires the parents have. Be very firm, very strict about the good things the parents want. That you're just supporting them. You're like the, you know, the backup, the sixth man off the bench. You're coming in there and you're like, you will do this. Uh, mom said to, and mom matters. She's weighty. She's honorable, right? Now, the first thing you're going to have to do <clears throat> as you move forward is you're going to have to decide if you can legitimately invite the grandchildren into your home. Now, most of you, this is no problem. Of course you can. There will be some situations where parents will have such ridiculous expectations or, or uh, requests of you that you will have to say, we'll come and visit you, but I don't think it's going to work out for him or her to come and stay with us. We can't agree to those terms. We can't agree that we're going to let him up, stay up as late as he wants. We can't agree that we're going to feed him anything he asks for. We can't agree that he can watch anything he wants on TV. We cannot agree that he can have unlimited access to the internet. I'm sorry, we cannot do that. If that's what you're asking us to do, we can't. So there's a line somewhere. You've got to decide, is this legitimate? And there will be some, some instances, I hope not many, but there'll be some instances when you say, we, we can't agree to those terms. Then, if, assuming the answer to that is yes, we can agree to these terms, then you get to set the rules in your own home. And what, what I've found as a, as a teacher and as a principal is kids can live in two different universes. They live at the home universe and then they come to school and it can be a completely different universe for them. And they learn quickly which rules go where. I, I think we've probably, most of us have experienced this. We know we can't get away with something at home, but we find out quickly we can get away with it at school. So what do we do? We get away with it at school. Well, the reverse is true also. We can get away with it at home, but when we come to school, we learn we can't get, get away with it. So you want your home to be that environment where they know there are certain things you can't get away with at grandma and grandpa's. When grandma and grandpa say no, they mean no. And when grandma and grandpa say yes, they will do it. They, keep, they will keep their word. So you're providing them some level of a sanctuary of structure even if their parents are not doing what they're supposed to, you just, oh, we love you so much. We're so glad that you're here, but we want you to know these rules and we want you to obey them. And these are going to be the consequences if you don't. Do you understand? All right, let's go have fun. And, and then you just enforce those rules, whichever ones you set. Last one, could you give some passages for older children uh, on honoring their parents? Uh, and I think this is like if... If you are still in your parents' home, but you're an adult or you're over 18 or something like that. Um, and I think all of us benefit from this. We, we all, all of us need to honor our parents if, if uh, they are with us still to whatever degree we can. Uh, 
uh, and this is just real quick. First, recognize that the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is a command that's given to everyone, not to children. The New Testament commands, obey your parents, those are given to children. But to all of us is given a command, honor your father and mother. So all of us have an obligation to honor our father and our mother. But Exodus 20, uh, I'm sorry, but Ephesians and Colossians are directed to children. So for older children, for us older children, we older children, we have to obey our, or we have to honor our father and mother. Uh, then just a couple others, I'll just, I'll list them if you want them. Leviticus 19, 2 and 3, Deuteronomy 27, 16, Proverbs 23, 22, and 30, 17, Ezekiel 22, 6 through 8, and Matthew 15, 3 through 8. All of those show you that God's expectation for grown adults, even parents yourselves, God's expectation for us is that we show honor to our father and our mother. So how much more so for a 20-something in the home? Let me pray for us and we'll end our time together. Father, it is a weighty, a weighty task, a weighty stewardship that you have given us as parents. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful stewards with what you have given us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a sense of camaraderie as we are in this together, that you would help us to see we're not trying to um, raise better children than one another. We're trying to help each of us raise the best children that we can. This is not about whose kids are best, but that each one of us would do the best that we can with what you have given us. Help us to encourage one another regularly, uh, to admonish one another as necessary, to comfort and, and, and encourage each other. And I ask, Lord, that we would be a body that is involved in the lives of one another and involved in the lives of our, our children. We commit them to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would give us children who love and adore you more than anything else in this world. Capture their hearts that they might declare your goodness among the nations. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Any questions remaining? I'll be up here for a few minutes. Thank you guys so much.